Welcome to The Edge by MGR with your host, David Gill. Hello and welcome to The Edge podcast by MGR. David Gill here. Pretty excited for this week. Before we get into the show, I want to announce the new site is up. I've been teasing it for weeks now and the day has finally come mgredge.com is the URL, the link. You can just click the link in the podcast description. I'll put it there. It's a completely new site designed completely with the user in mind. I I really think, I really, really think you guys are going to like it. I'm very excited about it. We're going to do a lot with it. So this is only the beginning. Uh, The top article on there right now, I believe, is one I wrote talking about a new war that's brewing between Netflix and Disney for who's going to dominate the media world in the coming decade. It's a fun read, one that's insightful. You know, I tried to make it, uh, I tried to understand how each of those companies think and how they both have brilliant strategies for conquering the world of content. So give that a read. If it sounds interesting to you, hopefully you can get something from it. Anyways, that's my update for this week. I know the site has been teased for a couple weeks now, but it's finally live, mgredge.com. Anyways, let's talk about brand equity and why it matters way more than brand awareness. Roll the intro. You ain't got no money, I ain't got no time. All these faces looking funny when I'm driving by. McDonald's, Toys R Us, and Comcast. They all have something in common. And that's massive brand awareness. And yet, McDonald's is struggling to create a new identity. Uh, Toys R Us is now defunct and Comcast is one of the most hated companies in America. Brand awareness is a term that gets thrown around a lot in the business and marketing world. You know, if you're in a board meeting or a conference call or just getting lunch with someone about, you know, a business lunch, inevitably someone is going to say, how are we increasing our brand awareness or what are we doing to increase our brand awareness? And there's nothing wrong with brand awareness per se, but simply having mass amounts of it doesn't really mean anything today. Like I said, look at Toys R Us, look at Blockbuster, right? Massive brand awareness. Everyone knows who Blockbuster is, but they don't exist anymore. Look at Sears. Sears has been around for over a hundred years. They were an iconic uh, big, big box store, and now they're struggling and on the verge of going out of business themselves. I'm going to use McDonald's as an example of, and really the whole fast food industry as a whole, for where brand awareness only matters to a point. So in the U.S., McDonald's has nearly 100% brand awareness, meaning everyone, you know, the whole population knows who it is. Babies, Babies come out of the womb already knowing who McDonald's is or what McDonald's is. But that can actually be a negative, right? Over the last decade plus 15 years, it's hard to say, there's been a shift in consumer demand in the food industry, right? Before, it used to be low-cost convenience. That's what McDonald's and other fast food places provided. But now, people are actually willing to pay a premium for healthier foods or at least want convenient healthy foods, even if it's not necessarily at a premium. And This has caused a major shift in product offerings and brand messaging from the entire fast food industry, right? Wendy's has their famous uh, Fresh Never Frozen campaign where they say, oh, we don't freeze our our, uh, 
like vegetables and beef like all the other companies uh, ours are always fresh or can or McDonald's they started adding salads to their menu they also announced I believe uh, about a year maybe it was actually two years ago now that they only sell cage-free chicken eggs so like free-range chicken eggs all of those things are moves that were necessary to change consumer opinion about those brands because when you think of McDonald's, the first term that comes to mind is not likely to be the word healthy. So brand awareness should never be a main priority for any company. It's fine. It's, 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 it's good to have people know your name, have the brand recognition. But just because people know of a brand doesn't mean that brand is valuable. What makes it valuable is the brand equity it holds with its current and potential customers. All right, so what is brand equity? Well, brand equity is the way I look at it, the way I kind of explain it to people uh, is brand equity is the balance of value. Imagine a scale. It's the balance of value that a brand is giving versus receiving. And value comes in very few forms, right? You've got obviously money, time, energy, or entertainment. Those are like the four main versions of value in in the world. And in business, you're giving one of those things in exchange for another. Usually you're giving either, you're either providing a way for people to save time, save energy, or be entertained in exchange for money, right? That's 99% of businesses out there. And as a brand, you can give away one or more of those things as a method to gain brand equity. If you want to build a powerful brand, then your goal must always be to make the value balance uneven. You want to make that scale uneven in your customer's favor, always giving them much more value than you ask for. And I mean, listen, this has been the modus operandi, the core value of MGR since day one, and it's what allowed MGR to grow almost entirely from word of mouth for over a decade. And, you know, this is how many iconic brands operate too. A uh, prime example being Amazon. <laughs> Unintended there, by the way. Prime, Amazon Prime. You got it? Yeah, it was funny. Anyways, Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, he's made it clear for over 20 years. I mean, you can go back and look at like, you know, speeches, not speeches, but like talks he's given from 20 years ago back in the 90s. And he's always said the same thing, that the focus is always on the customer first, trying to figure out how to make their lives better, even if it's at the cost of Amazon's own bottom line, even if they're losing money or not making a profit. You know, same day shipping, Amazon Prime, many of their core offerings cost a lot of money. But now, by offering such radical amounts of value that customers, because of they did that, I should say, because they provided such radical amounts of value, customers are always going to go to them first for anything they buy. Amazon provides so much value that millions of consumers, including myself, by the way, won't buy anything before checking the price on Amazon first. I mean, that's kind of like my go-to move. If it's anything that's over like 20 bucks, I'm just going to check the price on Amazon before I buy it in a store. And that relationship and brand equity was built and earned by Amazon from two decades of always providing more value than what they ask for, tipping the scales in the customer's favors. And in the customer's favor. And providing value can be done 
through your offering or in a supplementary form. So what do I mean by supplementary form? Like uh, this podcast you're listening to right now, this is a form of brand equity. We are a B2B company uh, giving you advice for free. You're trying to give you advice or tips, whatever for free. And we're not asking for anything in return, right? You, this podcast is just open to the public. You can listen to it, right? This is, this is what a supplementary value would be, or, you know, writing articles like the edge, uh, our new site, <laughs> good plug, David. All right. You go to the edge. Most of the articles on there are about tech business life, getting the edge in tech business life, right? That's like the, the slogan, it's free. It's how we build supplementary value without actually, it, you know, you're not getting a service from us by reading it. You're just getting advice that we've gathered along the way of being a agency. But creating useful content is a really common and very effective way to do this. That's why you see so many companies with blogs and recording podcasts, etc. because it's a very effective way of building your brand even if the person isn't necessarily buying your services or in your ecosystem yet. And it works whether you're business to business or business to uh, consumer. And so that one's pretty obvious. I think most people know that. That's the whole content marketing. It's inbound marketing. That's what it is. It's creating supplementary value besides what you actually sell, besides your core offering. But how do you create value in what you actually sell? And I don't want to like say that the supplementary isn't important. I mean, it's super important and it's something we stress to our clients a lot. And obviously we do it ourselves for a reason, but obviously the main thing that you're going to be able to provide value in is what you actually sell at the end of the day. That's what matters most, your product or service, whatever you have. You know, if you want to take your brand to the next level, then you need to maintain that uneven balance of value. Even when someone's already paying you, that's very difficult, even though it can be done. This is what separates good brands from great ones. Again, let's use Amazon as an example since everyone knows them uh, because they do this so well. I mean, they start by giving you the best possible price for something you buy. Like I said, I'll check the price before I buy something in a store if it's over like 20, 30 bucks. Then they also offer you free shipping. Oh, but wait, now it's not just free two-day shipping, it's free same-day shipping. Oh, and is there anything wrong with your order? Is it a little different? Is it not what you wanted? Whatever. Refund, no questions asked. Here's a shipping label on us, ship it back. I mean, they could have stopped at step one because they're already providing lots of value by offering just the lowest price, right? They're making a lot less money than they could be because they want the lowest price. But then they're also offering the free shipping and then, oh, it's same day. And then, oh, uh, something's wrong with it. Oh, it's pink and you wanted purple, return it, no questions asked. I mean, they keep pushing the balance of value and they're able to earn incredibly loyal customers in doing so. If you want to build brand equity, you have to constantly ask yourself, what else can I give that would make this person a customer for life, right? That's the question that you've always got to be thinking about. That's what I'm always thinking about. What can I do to make this person, you know, loyal for life to say, I always want to go to MGR or I always want to go to Joe's plumbing if I have a problem, right? Or I always want to go to, uh, and you know what I mean, any business, how can you make them a customer for life? That's the real question. This is the same idea that uh, Brian Chesky, the co-founder, CEO of Airbnb, uh, I'll put a link in the description to a article where he talked about his uh, six or seven star experience versus a four or five star, right? When you go to a hotel and you look on reviews online, it's always four or five stars. 
and he asked himself it was kind of a it's kind of a famous thing in silicon valley like okay what would a six star experience look like or what would a seven star experience look like right what if we rolled out the red carpet and drove them from the airport in a limo to their airbnb right like how can we go that extra mile how can you tip the scale in the customer's favor so much that they're like wow i paid 40 dollars a night for this airbnb and yet they picked me up in a limo how does that make any sense right and when you push that balance of value consistently customers will take notice it takes a dedication to this mindset to create truly remarkable brands but the sooner you are able to adopt this give first mindset the sooner your business will ascend to the likes of amazon and airbnb in terms of brand equity anyways that's my quick little uh business tip for this week business strategy marketing strategy i mean it works it's not even you don't have to take my word for it that's why i use the examples of amazons and airbnbs and other big brands right it's not just me saying it it's it's what great companies do long lasting companies do but anyways let's get into the news it's time for the news so Instagram, real quick, since we're in the marketing world, uh, announced last week that they hit 1 billion monthly active users. They're only the second uh, network to do so behind Facebook. Oh, it's all the same company. Uh, and they also rolled out, the bigger news really was that uh, they they rolled out IGTV, Instagram TV, a competitor for YouTube. I've played around with it a little bit, uploaded a couple videos on there um, from our own page. I'll say that the UA, I'm sorry, UA, UI user interface is a little clunky. There's definitely things that need some improvement. I, it's, it's clearly a new app. But overall, I mean, I can see where they're heading. And I certainly would not scoff at this if I were YouTube. Um, it, it's too early to tell to see how many creators are going to jump on board and fully adopt IGTV as one of the primary platforms but if the audience is there and the UI gets a little better like I said like you know if, if the audience gets there people start liking it I think more creators will jump on board obviously they already have the brand of Instagram it's going to be kind of you know commingled together so they're instantly going to have millions upon millions of users so I definitely would check it out if I were you. You don't want to be left behind on that boat. But very interesting. We'll, we'll have to see. Just it's We're in the early stage. It's only been out for a week now. But who knows? In six months, maybe they'll be the next YouTube competitor, the big YouTube competitor. Also in social uh, news, Twitter. They made a move towards connecting Twitter accounts to real people because now they are requiring that you have a phone number attached to an account and they're adding a new like suspicious tag. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to work, but it's like a, uh, you know, a warning suspicious tag to accounts that are behaving maliciously. Um, I expected them to do this at some point because, you know, they're desperately trying to grow their user base, but they've been failing over and over. They just have not seen the growth of Instagram and Facebook and even Snapchat, really. I mean, Snapchat's kind of taken a dive, not a dive, but much slower growth recently. But Twitter has been around longer than some of those companies, and they just have not seen quite the growth that Instagram is seeing, and they're really trying to catch up. And one of the main reasons ex-users of Twitter, and even a lot of people who use Twitter much less these days, you know, one of the reasons they give is because there's a lot of toxicity and trolls that roam Twitter. 
whether or not attaching a phone number to an account will be effective, I mean, you can still get around that. You can buy phone numbers for very cheap, but obviously, you know, it's another step that I don't know how many people are going to be really willing to take just to be a troll, basically. So again, it's one of those things where we're going to have to see. Maybe it'll cause a resurgence of user growth over the next few months. Who knows? But at least they're finally doing something. You know, one of the biggest things that people have gripes with Twitter is that their product team, the ones that, you know, develop the platform, have not really done much. They don't take a lot of action. They're stubborn to change. Who knows? Maybe we'll see a new era for Twitter. Maybe not. Who knows? Again, it's one of those that you just kind of have to see. I like Twitter, but I definitely don't use it as much as I used to. I used to, it used to be my number one platform, but now I just don't really use Twitter. Like I would say probably I use it half as much as I did uh, 18 months ago. Uh, lastly, some big news out of the hospitality and travel industry. Um, Amazon, speaking of Amazon from before, uh, they announced Alexa for hospitality, and they are rolling out a trial with several Marriott hotels. Uh, guests will have an Alexa device in their room, and they can ask it questions like, what are the hours for the pool? What are the dinner specials tonight if the re resort or hotel has a restaurant? You can also order room service directly through the Alexa, you know, things of that nature. Uh, you know, we work in Alexa skills development and Marriott's one of our clients. So, you know, we're definitely curious to see how this trial is going to go. But, you know, I can definitely foresee a future where every hotel room comes standard with an Alexa or maybe a Google Home, just like they come with TVs and phones now. I, I, I definitely could see that happening. Really, it's it's kind of just replacing the concierge almost at some point within this next few years. I could see concierge, concierges being less and less common and just hotels using Alexas and Google Homes and assistants to do their jobs. So we'll see. Definitely interested in that trial. If you're in the hospitality industry, I would definitely follow that closely too. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you enjoyed this, all I ask is that you share it with one person who you think would also want to listen to this, whether it's the news section or it's the earlier section about branding. Give, let me know your thoughts on our Instagram or on Twitter or anywhere. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.